You are listening to episode 99. And I also would like to introduce today the Okiki Video Bootcamp. Yes, I will be launching a course, which I will have a wait list in the show notes. And I will be launching some group coaching as well. I know there has been a lot of requests lately of people wanting to learn how can they create content for their own brands. And so I'm looking forward to bringing you along in the journey with that. If that's something that you've wanted to gain skills and techniques on, this will be for you. You'll learn systems on how to create content effectively and efficiently and have more time for yourself in the process. While reaching your clients. Again, you can find the information for the Okiki Video Bootcamp in the show notes below. On today's episode, I got to interview a fellow millennial and she is Temi Popo and she's a Forbes featured social entrepreneur who has invested products and services and ecosystems to help women thrive. She's the founder of Girls Trip Tours, and she is building alternative tourism uh, that's driven by women that will change the way people travel throughout Africa. Her company has been featured in Forbes, National Geographic, Talks at Google, and as well in a United Nations case study. And if you've been enjoying the Okiki podcast, make sure to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts to let me know which podcast episode has resonated with you the most in this season. By the way, this episode is also brought to you by Okiki Consulting, where we empower brands to tell their stories through video content. Whether you need video content strategies in English or French, we are here for you and are ready to support. Learn more at okikiconsulting.com. And on with today's episode. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, where we make inspirational people known. Brought to you by your host, Fian O'Bayan. everyone and welcome to the Okiki podcast and today I have an amazing guest her name is Iatemi Popo and she is uh, featured in Forbes as a social entrepreneur and she's invested in products services and ecosystems that help women thrive she's also the founder of Girls Trip Tours and so she builds an alternative tourism ecosystem that's driven by women and they travel through Africa. And uh, she's been featured in Forbes, National Geographic, Talks at Google, and as well as a United Nations case study. So I'm very honored to have her on this podcast. And yeah, <laughs> for the Nigerians of the podcast too, <laughs> forgive my Oyibo accent with her name. I know we're both Nigerian, but, <laughs> but I've lived out here for a while, so... <laughs> Yes, but no, thank you, uh, Temi, for being on the podcast today. 
No problem. So yes, it's Ai Temi. Um, I'm Shakiri for the Nigerians who might be wondering. And yeah, I'm from Lagos, but I grew up in New York City, and now I live in Montreal, Canada. I think kind of global travel has always been part of my family life. Like my grandmother was a diplomat, and so my mom grew up traveling a lot, and that kind of got passed down to me. And so, like even with a Nigerian passport. I've been to 30 countries, lived in seven, and I recently got my Canadian passport. So like now, wow. world watch out. Because <laughs> I don't a different level. Yeah, yeah I don't sure. for visas anymore. So yeah. <laughs> so let's let's backtrack to that because I'm guessing from what you're saying, is your Canadian passport a fairly recent thing too? Yeah, um, yeah. got it last year. Wow. Okay. So yeah, we have a lot to backtrack <laughs> on. So let's just start at the beginning. Like, what was your education and career path and what led you into this kind of, I guess, lifestyle of travel, uh, mm-hmm. even with, you know, an American or Nigerian passport? Like, how, how did you get into this space? And were you always thinking of being an entrepreneur in this space? So I grew up always thinking I'd be an entrepreneur because that's what my mom did for the most part and like all her siblings. Yeah, I never, only one of my aunts has like had a job from college. Like everyone else kind of did different things and that appealed to me. So I kind of always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I used to help my mom in her different business ventures and travel was one of them actually. She used to take Nigerian students to Swiss summer camps. And I used to like go and kind of be like the camp counselor for that. So I just and always enjoyed that. And so because I grew up in different places and wherever I go, I'd meet Nigerians. I always felt like the link between like, well, like the diaspora and the continent. And so in business, it kind of made sense to do that. So I launched my first venture when I graduated from college. Um, so I went to college in the States. I went to Mount Holyoke, which is an all women's college. And as soon as I graduated, I studied digital media, which is like computer science mixed with film production. And so I knew I wanted to do something creative with technology. And so I launched a magazine. It's called Ayuba Magazine. The idea was to connect the diaspora to the continent through writing. And we built up this huge team. We had writers from all across the continent, Egypt, South Africa, you know, people living in Asia, people living in the U.S. and just kind of all contributing to, at the time, you know, there was the Africa rising narrative and, you know, just wanting to be part of that movement and seeing Africa more mainstream, which it's crazy, like a decade later, we are. The last year I had the magazine running, so I ran the magazine for almost nine years and it went from like this, you know, student-led thing. My first cover photo shoot was on my campus, you know, with my friend who was a photographer and our final issue of the magazine was shot in Los Angeles by a celebrity photographer wow. and cover model was in Black Panther and we got wow. the premiere and so it was just crazy like how how things had changed in the industry and like it felt like how we were a part of that like just from you know the trajectory and so while the magazine was great it wasn't very profitable right like content hard especially written content. And so I needed to pivot, but I wanted to keep the audience I had, which was definitely a lot of Black people, mainly Africans, but also women. I noticed that like 90% of the readership was women. 
And because I am a girl's girl, like I, I mentioned, I went to an all women's college. I also went to an all girls high school. So women empowerment is kind of very natural to me. Um, also with like my mom and my grandma who are very strong figures. And so I decided, you know, let's make this for generally black people, black women specifically. And that's how Girls Trip Tours started. It was just like, I want to keep doing the work I'm doing, but let's do it through travel, which is more this role than content, right? Let's actually take people to the continent and connect them with all the amazing people I've written about in the magazine hmm. and like, take them to the restaurant I wrote about. So it was just kind of like bringing everything I was writing about to life. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, just so cool to see the patterns of how it all came together and just even paying attention to who was reading the magazine, who was engaging with it. And so I guess in that, what was like your biggest obstacle then when you were going to make that pivot of magazine to travel and and making people know like this is something that they can be part of? Honestly, it wasn't a hard transition because I've always worked like a nine to five throughout my entrepreneurship journey. So it was like nothing really changed. It was just like, okay, now, yeah, let people know. So it was really just marketing. I think I had the idea like October 2017. By December, I was just like, you know how the end of year is coming and you're like, I still haven't done this thing that's in my mind. And so like the week before New Year's, I just... I created a website, I created a deck, and I, I opened up spots. And it was something that I knew, like, I was going to go and do this on my own, even if people didn't understand it at first. Like, I would do a trip and, like, take video and kind of just show people what I was getting at. But to my surprise, like, six people signed up. And so I was like, okay, we, we've got a trip. And the main reason I launched it, apart from, like, wanting to bring people from the diaspora to visit Africa was also the mentorship piece. So what makes Girls Trip different from any other like Black travel company is really how we embed mentoring into the travel experience. And so I had a friend that was running Africa's first coding academy for girls. And that was like our mentorship partner. And so part of the itinerary was taking these girls out. We planned this amazing like brunch for them just so they could have a different experience than what they're used to day to day. And also we had a session where we workshopped with them. We did like game design. And the idea was just to encourage them because my friend had said, these girls' parents don't get this whole computer science thing. They want them to marry young. They think if they go to university for computer science, they'll be too, like, I guess, high maintenance, like too hard to find a husband that's like on their level. And so the mothers didn't want them to pursue technology. And it was like, no, we can't have this. So I need to bring women. And it was crazy how like the universe just attracted the right people. So we had a Ford Foundation exec on the trip, someone who's working at LinkedIn, someone who was working at eBay. So it was just like the perfect trip to, you know, support these girls. And that was kind of the beginning of it. It was just like when that trip happened, the kind of reviews we got, it gave me a lot of confidence in like, okay, what, what you're thinking about, like it actually makes sense in the real world and people want this. And it also gave me the seed funding because, you know, from the first trip we were profitable to just keep going. And the reviews that they gave were just amazing. Like one actually made me cry. So it was just like, okay, now I have the credibility as well because I can share those transformations. 
um, with other people and more people will travel with us. That's amazing. And just amazing to hear that it's like, not just like the tours, not just connecting the diaspora, but they're like impact tours as well in the communities that you're visiting. And so I guess when you had that first trip take off, I guess, what was the biggest challenge in then knowing, okay, I'm, I can mobilize this, I can make this multiple trips. And mm-hmm. what were some of the things that kind of surprised you with group travel organization versus, of course, yourself, as you mentioned, you've traveled to <laughs> many countries. So like, what were some of the huge shockers, I guess, between the two for you? Yeah, so definitely the next step was the hard part, right? The first trip was pretty easy and it went off without a hitch, which was so surprising because I thought West Africa would be more difficult, you know, but like we had no issues. The next was a bit harder because I don't know, it was just like the next trip was to Kenya and I had never been to Kenya either. And so I think just kind of organizing a trip remotely in a place you've never been to and like relying on travel partners was kind of difficult, but that was also part of the scaling process, right? I couldn't necessarily do everything myself. I now had to build a team and I think building a team is is always difficult. So I think the hard part of like scaling was building the team and also figuring out how I wanted to scale. Like you just said, like more trips. Yeah, more trips was one was one option but I wanted to think through like what are all the options of actually scaling and so it took a while to figure that out especially because the pandemic kind of disrupted a lot of things so in 2020 I increased the size of the trips which is another way right bigger trips but fewer or more trips you know there were so many different ways to scale and so in 2020 my idea was like no I don't want to do so many trips again because I was trying to like keep a full-time job so let me do this really like big trip make it more of like a summit you know experience and I opened up 40 slots the trip was supposed to be like November 2020 and by February we already had 15 people signed up so it was looking good and then March we all know what happened and so that trip did not happen and so it gave me pretty much two years to kind of rethink this and in that time I was like should I even keep doing this like you know because Like, remember, the first few months of the pandemic were really bleak. So it gave me a lot to think about. But what I came out of it knowing was I needed to dream bigger, right? One trip with, like, more people, that's not bigger necessarily, right? And if I was going to dedicate, because I also turned 30 in the pandemic. So it was also that pivotal point where you're like, okay, next decade of life. Like, what am I going to be doing for that next decade? I was like, you got to think bigger. And so I landed on this ecosystem. And that's what we're, we're working on now is building a travel ecosystem where it's all women led and it covers the entire continent. So we have our first hire on board. Her name is Otso, and she's based in Botswana. So she's in charge of Southern Africa. And because she's locally based, she knows who the players are and she is bringing on travel partners into this ecosystem. The first travel partner we brought on is is the founder of the first all women safari guide team in Africa. So if you think of a safari guide, you usually think of a man, not necessarily even a black man, right? If you've gone safari in South Africa, it's mostly white men doing that work. 
And so to have Black women be safari guides and approach conservation from this feminist and Indigenous perspective is really unique. And so that's just an example of like one person we have, but we have so many amazing women who are bringing their brands into our ecosystem. And so now when you book a group trip with us, it's not a lot of work, even if I haven't been somewhere, it's not a lot of work for me to put together an itinerary that has impact and also makes sense because I have these local partners. And so we're looking for partners in East Africa and West Africa as well. Um, but our criteria is just, it has to be some form of responsible tourism. It has to be a sustainable brand, a made in Africa brand or a women-led brand. And so we do think that, especially because of the pandemic, trends changed in travel and people understood like this whole jet setting here today, there tomorrow, we're messing with local economies, we're contributing to inflation, we're doing all these things. And there is a way you can travel with social and economic impact, but people don't like to do the hard thing and figure it out. And so we're figuring it out for you. And now you can just tap into our ecosystem and book a solo trip or a group trip within that ecosystem. And so now Girls Trip is almost helping us validate this, this ecosystem. And we know that ecosystems can scale. It's much easier to scale an ecosystem. And so that's where I'm at right now. Wow, that's so cool. And just to hear that journey and story, just because I'm even thinking about like, yeah, thinking back in the pandemic and just going like, yeah, what exactly did you do or have to do that? <laughs> and then the reflection that it took to go like, okay, let's try it this way. And I guess kind of going off of that, because that is a very uh, good explanation of the challenges. Um, when things started looking like they were opening up and that people were interested in travel, and then you had that reflective time to think about how you're going to actually present this business. Did you notice a change in trends in what you were offering in terms of like the desire for people to want to be part of it, to sign up for these trips? Did you see a bit of like an enthusiastic change from before the lockdown and after the lockdown? So I remember someone DM'd me. She was like, I have to see Africa before I die. You know what I mean? So it was just kind of that awakening, especially for our African-American followers who are, you know, they were stuck at home, especially like I was in Montreal, man. Things were locked down, okay? And so they were locked down in North America and they were seeing all this activity on the continent. Remember, like, Ghana was open, Kenya was open, Africa was open, and we had people flying over there to live free. And so, yeah, that's the kind of discourse, you know, I was having with my community where people were like, nah, I gotta go to get over there. So I think it increased the interest in wanting to visit Africa. Definitely people wanted that first trip post-pandemic to be epic. We also had people who were like frontline workers, nurses, who were like, I just need a break. So, you know, once things are open, I'm going to travel with you. And so I think that's how things change. We were also messaging people and we had a survey going through the pandemic just to understand people's comfort level. And it wasn't really until vaccines came out that people were comfortable traveling. And even then, then you have the whole like, you know, not anti-vaxxers, like, it, it was a really complicated moment, especially because a lot of com a lot of countries had the the rule that you needed to be vaccinated or you know have a negative test coming in. So there was this like precarious moment where things were opening, but it was also really complicated because things were changing day to day. 
And so I did some trips to the continent because I also felt like I had to show the community that, you know, it was possible to travel and like they would be safe, but it was hard for me to organize a group trip. And I also don't think it would have been responsible to organize a group trip, even if we made it smaller, even if we had all the protocols. And so 2023 is the first year that we're really like launching full scale. I really used that downtime to one, start a foundation that would address all the things we're doing with mentorship. And so now we have like a a scholarship program and all of that is a lot more credible and then really focus on building that ecosystem and finding uh, the partners to support. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things too, I wanted to get into like how you made your brand known as well. As you mentioned before, you're featured in National Geographic and uh, quite a few other places. So in the fact that you're even just kind of really taking off now, how did you get so many people excited and on board with what you were trying to do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So when I first started, I remember being like, it took me a really long time to get the magazine off the ground, you know, so I wanted to like launch with a bang on this one. And so I had some friends in PR and I reached out to one of them. I was like, hey, this is my new idea. Like, I really want to get the messaging out there. And she took me on as a client and we got a lot of like launch press, but none, none of the publications you've mentioned. And it's crazy because those publications, the Forbes feature, the National Geographic feature, they were surprises. Like I didn't find out about the National Geographic until like months after. And honestly, like, I don't know. I'm just so grateful for it. With the Forbes feature, I didn't know the person that featured me. We met at a conference and we, you know, we spoke a bit after. So Women's Day, thank God for Women's Day and helping like women focused companies. But we were a Women's Day um, feature in Forbes. And then later on, um, she did a profile on me. And then for National Geographic, I feel like they just saw the Forbes posting and kind of pick some of the companies in that one for their Women's Day feature the following year. But honestly, it's a blessing. And it kind of just those two features happened at points that I was about to give up, you know, where I was like, how am I going to do this? Because the Forbes feature happened in 2020. And then the National Geographic was early last year where it was like, I was making headway, but it's like, does this really make sense? Should I just focus on the nonprofit? Do I still want to do the travel thing? And then I saw the National Geographic. And so I feel like it's like a message from God to like, you're in the right direction. Just keep pushing. That's amazing. And did you also mention you've you've done all these businesses while doing a nine to five? Yeah. Are, are you still in that situation now? Or have you made that pivot to like full entrepreneur in this space too just curious yeah no I'm still in that situation um you know like in 2020 I did like I wanted to make the decision to leave Mm. then the pandemic happened so I was really happy with the employment at that point and it's just something that like right now I work in artificial intelligence and so it's like experience I want to have Um, I think it really helps with the work I do on the nonprofit side with the girls. So I do think there's a point I'll leave, but as long as I have a job that is kind of serving a greater purpose, um, especially because my job is fully remote. So I'm going to the office. It's very flexible with like work from anywhere, um, you know, within reason. So Right now, I don't feel like I have to make that switch, but it's definitely something that, you know, in a few years, I probably will make the switch just because 
um, I do think, I do see myself as an entrepreneur um, mm. more than anything else. And so, I, yeah, I have really big plans for Girls Trip in terms of scaling the ecosystem, but I'm also in the process of buying land in Kenya to actually build a retreat because wow. one of the gaps I've seen is that a, as much as I want to support locally owned hotels, it's really hard to find like luxury locally owned hotels, right? Most of them on the continent are um, by the big global brands. And so that's something that I'm like, okay, I can play in this space, right? And so, yeah, I'm still kind of working out exactly how everything lines up, but yeah, I'm really committed to this vision and to scaling. And so probably sooner than later. For sure. And you mentioned that you're really into mentorship or that your organization really focuses on that. So what would you tell like a young person seeing like what you're doing and you going after your dreams and your entrepreneurship and they're trying to get started on what they want to do? What kind of piece of advice would you give them? So I would say start like even if the idea isn't fully fleshed out, sometimes you have to put it into the marketplace, put it into the world for it to start making sense. Because I see so many people building quietly in silence, not wanting, I guess not necessarily not wanting any feedback, but being afraid of the feedback and the input. But like that is the most important step in entrepreneurship is starting and letting people see what you're working on and then giving feedback and then potentially contributing. So I think that's one, if you just like have an idea, put it out into the world. And if you're already working on something, there's a trap I've seen a lot of like women entrepreneurs fall into. And I fell into that early in my career as well with my first venture, where you get all this support in the form of like empowerment and you get invited to all these places to speak and to just be more visible as a female entrepreneur, a black woman entrepreneur, but you don't get the investment, you don't get the financial support that you're needed, that you actually need. And I always say like some of these companies will empower you into brokenness because they're not investing in women entrepreneurs the same way they invest in men. And you can see that by like less than 1% of venture capital funding going to women of any race, talk less of like black women. And so for people who are already starting, I would say don't get caught up in that trap of this unpaid speaking engagements and just like the corporate praise or the media, like focus on the product, focus on monetizing, focus on profitability. That's very interesting, especially in a day and age with so much, uh, you know, social media and like accolades and different things. Like mm -hmm. it's very interesting that you're like, yeah, just not, don't get carried away with the noise, like focus on what you're trying to do. And I guess on your end, did you have mentors who spoke into your life as well? When I first started out, I was in New York and I had a lot of women, specifically Black women, uh, lift me up in Toronto. So before I moved to Montreal, I was in Toronto. I felt the same way with the community there. And then I also got this like African fellowship and that connected me to a lot of women building on the continent. And so a huge part of my story is just getting support from mostly Black women. And so I think that's why I'm so dedicated to 
creating product services, building ecosystems that help women thrive because they are who have allowed me to thrive. Yeah. And I guess the final question I have for you today is what do you value the most about the position that you're in with your company and everything that you're doing up to this point? Uh, I value the freedom, like the creative freedom, first of all, because sometimes, you know, working nine to five, you're working on someone else's dream or someone else's agenda. And especially when you work in the Western world, honestly, it's like some of the things they're building towards don't even make sense to you as a Black person. You're just like, with all the things wrong with the world, yes, we definitely need another X product. Do you know what I mean? It can feel really meaningless. And so, yeah, I just wish more Black people would get into entrepreneurship so that we can really build the world that we want to see. And that's what I'm trying to do. Like, I want to see a world where Black women live luxury. Okay, luxury travel company. And they're connected in sisterhood doing that. And they feel free. There's a place where they feel free. And for me, the only place where Black women are truly free is Africa. And even then we have problems. But like, at least you can find like, you know, places to just exist, you know? And that's, that's why I want to build that retreat. I just want to build this space these few acres of land where we can just exist, you know, without comparison, without, you know, um, being criticized. And so that's what I'm trying to do with this company. Um, and also with the girls we mentor, it's like, for me, it took me so long to unlearn certain like mindsets and uh, mentalities because they're so ingrained in you, whether it's like beauty standards, you know, putting a limit on what you can achieve, all those things. And so for everything it took me to unlearn, I want these girls to grow up like knowing. So they don't have to unlearn. So they already have that. And everything is easier for them because of that. And yeah, so that's another really big piece to it that I want a world where where young Black girls are freed from from all the things our generation and previous generations have had to put up with. Uh, thank you so much, Temi. Uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom with the Okiki podcast today. And uh, just, yeah, honored to have you and very inspired by you, another uh, millennial. <laughs> and just realizing what you're saying, your age, like, I think we're around the same age. So like, it's just very cool to have someone that's doing so many um, cool things and now, now you're based in Canada. So I guess we're in the same country now too. Yeah. <laughs> but just uh, where can the audience find you and learn more about you and follow what you're up to? So they should definitely go to girlstrip.tours. So that's www.girlstrip.tours. We're also on Instagram at girlstriptours and on LinkedIn with the same name. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with the Okiki podcast today. Thank you.